Thanks for pressing play and welcome to a very special episode of Lockhead on Marketing. And um, this one is based on a recent uh, letter that we wrote in Category Pirates. And what I thought I would do, this is a free letter. So every once in a while we make something free and it's sort of blown up and, and we hoped it would and it did. And so um, think of this uh, more like an audio book and less like a podcast today, because for the very first time, I'm going to read to you an entire category pirates. And uh, what we're going to talk about is candidly something that's taken me 30 years to be able to write with my partners, uh, Nicholas Cole and Eddie Yoon. And the letter is called The Big Brand Lie, How Categories Make Brands and why brand marketers never believe it. Uh, My friends at Malibu Milk are the world's leading whole plant organic flax milk. And I don't know if you knew this, but um, oat milk, if you like oat milk, a shocking realization is the U.S. FDA has said that there are six or eight different pesticides in oat milk. Ugh. Anyway, there's no such thing with Malibu milk because it is 100% organic and it is whole plant-based flax. And Malibu milk is the first milk company ever to be created by a mom. So check out Malibu milk with a Y dot com today. And uh, by the way, if you love smoothies or white Russians or cereal for that matter, uh, Malibu milk goes great with all of those things. And it's great on its own as well. My friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. Check out splunk.com slash D, the number two, and the letter E. Because uh, in our opinion, you can't build a category queen business without being a data first business. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. This is Lockhead on Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. All right, so grab yourself a cup of coffee, mug of rum or whiskey or tequila or whatever it is you like, and uh, pull up a chair and let me read you a story. The title of this uh, newsletter is The Big Brand Lie, How Categories Make Brands and Why Brand Marketers Never Believe It. Categories make brands, not the other way around. Category Pirates just broke the top 10 most popular business newsletter list on Substack. And we couldn't have done it without you, Pirates. Thank you for reading. And of course, forward one of our many books to a friend uh, that you think needs to hop aboard the pirate ship. Dear friend, subscriber, and category pirate, have you ever met someone who's been drafted into a cult? Did you know that it's possible to be in a cult and not know it? A meaningful percentage of marketers, entrepreneurs, and executives are in what we like to call the brand cult. They've been taught the best, aka the most well-known, brand wins. Even though the data shows this is not true. Ford spends $2.5 billion per year 
on brand advertising with a market cap of $50 billion. General Motors spends $3 billion with a market cap of $70 billion. Meanwhile, Tesla spends zero, but has a market cap of $700 billion. What? In 2021, Google spent almost $600 million building and launching a social network to compete with Facebook and Twitter called Google+. If the best brand wins, how come Google Plus failed? After all, Forbes named Google the second most valuable brand in the world in 2020. Comcast spends more than $5 billion on branding and advertising each year. And yet, Comcast has long been considered, quote, America's most hated company, end quote. There's even a Wikipedia page dedicated to the company's inadequacies titled Criticism of Comcast. Uh, Now, United Airlines is a close second, if you ask us. So if branding and shouting from the rooftops is the key to winning the game, how come $5 billion per year can't solve Comcast's problems? Maybe they need to spend $10 billion. But sharing data with cult members is about the worst thing you can do. That's, become fa- that's because facts are upsetting to feelings, particularly facts that disprove everything you've been taught to believe. Well, here's a fact. Categories make brands, not the other way around. How the brand cult began. In 2011, The Atlantic published a piece titled, quote, How Brands Were Born, A Brief History of Modern Marketing, end quote. Quote, in the 1950s, consumer packaged good companies like Procter & Gamble, General Foods, and Unilever developed the discipline of brand management, or marketing as we know it today. When they noticed the quality levels of products being offered by competitors around them, A brand manager would be responsible for giving a product an identity that distinguished it from nearly indistinguishable competitors. Note that last sentence. From our perspective, the obvious response and clear no-brainer solution to being, quote, a nearly indistinguishable, end quote, is to get different, design a new space, come up with something new. Make others play a game you created. But that's not what most marketing and branding experts decided. Instead, they said, let's ignore the fact that there is nothing unique about us, our product, or what we do for the world. Instead, let's do some branding. As if sprinkling some kind of magic dust on your brand, changing the colors, the fonts, the logo design, etc., is going to drive a breakthrough in growth. Or even worse, let's call ourselves a community. Let's use big, all-encompassing, undifferentiated language to make ourselves appeal to everyone. Something like, we're an authentic, purpose-driven brand. And thus, the brand cult was formed, and the big brand lie began. The room where it happened. We will live the rest of our lives wondering how branding as a solution to a lack of differentiation ever made it out of the room. The room where it happened. Uh, and then here in the newsletter, we have a wonderful clip from the uh, musical Hamilton. 
And uh, let me just quote from, from uh, that, uh, the song that we show in the letter here. So this is from a, a song from Hamilton that goes like this. No one was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens, but no one else is in the room where it happens. <laughs> and yet every single day, we are shocked by how many MBAs, entrepreneurs, founders, and even very smart investors accept this premise. How could the answer to the problem, we're indistinguishable, possibly be cosmetic attributes? How could the answer to the problem, we're the same thing, be Let's say we're the same thing, but better and louder and more often. How could the answer to the problem we've run out of ideas be, let's make the logo bigger? There are approximately 7,000 books on branding on Amazon. Our guess is that many of them extol the value of building a brand as a pathway to success. Like the song and video on YouTube, Make the Logo Bigger. Take a listen. Make the logo as big as you can. Make the logo bigger. Yeah. Now, we encourage you to go to YouTube and uh, type in Make the Logo Bigger and watch the entire video and hear the entire song because we're going to continue singing this song throughout the rest of this episode. <laughs> now, Make the Logo Bigger is the opposite of category design. Category design is the process of moving customers from the way the world is to a new and different way. Categories are about customers, their problems, their opportunities, their future, which means category marketing is about educating customers on a new and different solution that unlocks transformational outcomes by solving a specific problem. Branding, other, on the other hand, is about us, our name, our logo, our team, and our mission statement, which means brand marketing is about screaming, look at me, look at me, whereas category marketing is about evangelizing a different outcome altogether. Said differently, brand marketing is something we do to customers. Category marketing is something we do for customers. The story of Ralph Lauren. Ask any person on earth why Ralph Lauren was successful and 99% of them will say the same thing. He built an incredible brand. But is that actually what caused his success? Or was the Ralph Lauren brand the result of his creating a different category? If you haven't seen the documentary on Ralph Lauren called Very Ralph, we highly recommend it. Most people don't know that Ralph Lauren is credited with creating the menswear industry as, quote, a designer reality. In the 1960s, men had gotten used to prescriptive dressing and wore suits as uniforms with very little differentiation and personality. Quote, designers were for women. The tailor was for men, end quote. Lorraine was the first designer to turn American lifestyle moments into characters, a carpenter, railroad worker, a cowboy, into fashionable everyday looks 
And it all started with his unique wide ties. In the documentary, he tells the story, quote, I like these ties. I'm going to make them wider. I'm going to bring them over to the store and they're going to like it. So I took them over to Bloomingdale's because Bloomingdale's was the entree into every store because every store at the time was shopping at Bloomingdale's to see what was new. Who were the new resources? What was happening? The buyer looked at the tie and said, that's too wide. Would you make it a little narrower? And will you take the label off? We want to have our store brand, end quote. To which Ralph Lauren closed his sample case and walked away. And the rest is history. The misunderstanding here is what made Ralph Lauren different from all the other ties in the market was the brand. And that's not it at all. What made Ralph Lauren ties, the company's first successful product, different was the fact that they were wider. They were the first tie to break the mold of what a tie should look like for men. And the first tie that even remotely resembled having its own distinctive style. Ralph's ties were different. And as a result, created a new category of wide designer ties. The brand and the tag simply let people know where they could get more different ties like it. And in the 1960s, what happens when you wear a tie or when you wear a wide tie? Well, you need different shirts with different collars. You need a different suit. Remember, new categories create new categories. And all of a sudden, Ralph Lauren was creating a whole new category of menswear. What Lauren was not doing was copy-pasting his brand onto similar commodity products. He was inventing new and different products, which, after the fact, were paired with the Ralph Lauren tag and brand. Fast forward to today. And despite the fact that Ralph Lauren will go down in history as one of the greatest fashion designers ever, and the company boasts an $8 billion market cap, its differentiation strategy today amounts to a little more than make the logo bigger. And in the letter, if you go uh, check it out on Lockhead.com, what you'll see, we put a very funny photograph of a polo Ralph Lauren shirt from the 60s and one from the 2000s. And you will definitely see that the polo logo is getting a lot bigger. And then the meme that we found uh, continues to make it bigger and bigger, and it gets funnier and funnier until you get to the 2060s and 2080s. But um, go to Lockhead.com and check that out. You'll see it. The definition of branding. Before we go any further, let's think deeply about this word the business world loves so much. Remember, thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. Branding. What did this word originally mean? It meant livestock branding. Quote, The practice of branding, in the original literal sense of marking by burning, is thought to have begun with the ancient Egyptians, who were known to have engaged in livestock branding as early as 2700 BCE. Branding was used to differentiate one person's cattle from another's by means of a distinctive symbol burned into the animal's skin with a hot branding iron. 
If a person stole any of the cattle, anyone else who saw the symbol could deduce the actual owner. The term has been extended to mean strategic personality for a product or company so that brand now suggests the values and promises that a consumer may perceive and buy into, end quote. This is from Wikipedia. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. The marketing world thought it would be a good idea to borrow a word that meant burning a symbol into a cow to represent the act of claiming customers as your own. Hmm. So branding is a violent, painful approach to showing a living being as belonging to you. That sounds about right. Enduring most branding efforts as a customer is painful. Maybe this is why advertisers use the term impressions as a feeble proxy for what a real outcome when selling advertising to corporations. Maybe this means brands think customers are their own property. Maybe this is why companies that spend billions of dollars in brand advertising per year also happen to be the companies at the top of the most hated lists. Things that make you go, hmm. For example, Capital One. And then we show in the letter a Forbes page where a Capital One ad shows a picture of a dude with the logo. And it says, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision. Kind of like dot, dot, dot. And it's uh, a big chunk of the screen. Let me continue. Hmm. We love nothing more than a sweet Capital One ad taking up 50% of the screen talking about themselves. We bet this big banner ad is getting a lot of brand impressions, which mean it must be working, right? Actually, if we sober up for half a second and look, the data shows us it's not. Capital One spent $1.6 billion on advertising in 2020 and has been averaging $1.9 billion per year in ad spend for the past five years. And yet, after the stock failed to move from 2015 to 2020, the company authorized, quote, a new share buyback program of up to $7.5 billion for 2021, end quote, causing the stock to artificially rise. So basically, $1.6 billion or more per year in advertising Capital One's brand has done nothing. So much so, the company decided to deploy $7.5 billion more in cash to prop up the stock. So let's really soak in this for a second. Capital One could not drive growth in their value through marketing. So they cooked up fake growth with stock buybacks. CEOs buying their own stock communicate at least three horrible things about the company. One, they've run out of ideas. Two, they're using shareholders' cash. Remember, shareholders own the company. They're using shareholders' cash to increase their own stock compensation. Because remember, most executives are highly compensated via stock. So if the stock goes up, it's good for them. And three, worst of all, they have given up on trying to increase the value of their company in a real way. And they've chosen fake growth. Capital One is not alone here. In 2014, HBR published a piece by William Lazonic of the University of Massachusetts. He's a professor called Profits Without Prosperity. 
Here he noted 449 companies in the S&P 500. 449 companies. That's like most of them in the S&P 500. From 2003 to 2012, used 54% of their earnings to buy back their own stock. Another 30% of earnings were used for dividends, meaning that in 449 companies in the uh, S&P 500, 91% of total corporate earnings went to buybacks. Given that stock options and awards uh, comprise the lion's share of executive compensation, executives who are stewards are self-dealing at the expense of investing in growth. Stock market buybacks, stock buybacks, plus stock-based compensation at slow-growth companies is one of the single greatest examples of legal larceny committed in plain sight. Now, we didn't get invited to the Marketing Leadership Council meeting where the marketing experts decided branding and brand advertising was the best way to spend billions of dollars per year. Had we been invited... We would have slammed our mugs down on the table and shouted, That's a chanty without a clap of thunder down from Davy Jones, if we've ever heard of it. Now, if you're still learning to speak pirate, that means that we think branding is a horrible name and makes absolutely no sense. Are we being cheeky? No. Think. Branding is defined as burning your name on someone else to claim ownership. Imagine branding as an idea doesn't exist. Imagine you're a marketing executive at Procter & Gamble and the guy next to you says, man, wouldn't, uh, man, everybody's detergent is the same. What do we do? I know. Let's make it look different. Let's give it a different identity. Let's make it stand out by giving it unique colors on the box. This is what eventually becomes branding as a multi-billion dollar industry, and nobody goes, wait, hang on a minute. Maybe the solution to the problem, we're not different, is to actually get different. Opposed to whatever the hell you and a bunch of your marketing experts just talked about. But this is what brand marketers do. Their entire job is predicated on their ability to burn their company's name and logo into the minds and bodies of their customers. Success is then measured by how many people they believe they've prodded with a hot poker. Example, Capital One. Congratulations. This month, we reached a new high of X million impressions. We, we believe we branded them. Therefore, we did brand them. Keep buying more branding efforts. Smooth Brain Brand Plus. There's a term that rumbles in the underbelly of the internet, also known as Reddit, that represents people who can't think for themselves. Smooth-brained apes. Quote from Scientific America. One of the first things people notice about the human brain is its intricate landscape of hills and valleys. These convolutions derive from the cerebral cortex a two to four millimeter thick mantle of gelinous tissue packed with neurons, sometimes called gray matter, that mediates our perceptions, thoughts, emotions, and actions. 
Other large brain mammals, such as whales, dogs, our great ape cousins, have a corrugated cortex, too, with its own characteristics, pattern, convolutions. But small brain mammals and other vertebrates have relatively smooth brains, end quote. Well, one of the smooth brain brand strategies in marketing today is to take your brand and then slap it on everything and anything you can find. Because the brand is what made you successful, right? Brands drive growth, right? Everybody knows how important branding is. The brand is what people love. In 1994, so ahead of their time, Al Reese and Jack Trout wrote one of the defining books on business thinking, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And in chapter 18, The Law of Success, they state the following, quote, Success is often the fatal element behind the rash of line extensions. When a brand is successful, the company assumes the name is the primary reason for the brand's success. So they promptly look for other products to plaster the name on. Actually, it's the opposite. The name didn't make the brand famous, although a bad name might keep the brand from becoming famous. The brand got famous because you made the right marketing moves. In other words, the steps you took were in tune with the fundamental laws of marketing. You got into the mind first, you narrowed the focus, you preempted a powerful attribute. Your success puffs up your ego to such an extent that you put the famous name on other products. Result, early success and long-term failure. End quote. By the way, as a side note, if you haven't read The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, run, don't walk to start reading that book. All right, let's continue. If blindly branding customers with a hot poker is a mistake numero uno, then mistake number two is taking your brand and doing what recent Trout famously languaged as line extension. Taking your brand and it extending it across multiple categories. Disney plus Apple TV plus ESPN plus Samsung TV plus BET plus Paramount plus. Did we learn anything from Google plus? Here's how this stupidity gets rationalized. In 2020, Fast Company, a commodity undifferentiated business brand, published a piece titled, quote, why adding plus to the name of every streaming service is actually good, end quote. In it, Viacom CBS president and CEO Bob Backish explains, quote, Paramount is an iconic and storied brand beloved by consumers all over the world. And it is synonymous with quality, integrity and world class storytelling. End quote. Pause. Real quick. Name one Paramount film. Just one. If Paramount is such an iconic brand and branding is all that matters, then surely you can remember which films Paramount has made versus which ones 21st Century Fox has made versus Universal Pictures versus Columbia Pictures, right? Can't? Moving on. 
Bakish continues, quote, with Paramount Plus, we're excited to establish one global streaming brand in the broad pay segment that will draw on the sheer breadth and depth of the Viacom CBS portfolio to offer an extraordinary collection of content for everyone to enjoy, end quote. Let's go back and remember how we started this letter, the origins of branding, quote, a brand manager would be responsible for giving a product an identity that distinguishes it from nearly indistinguishable competitors, end quote. Whether Bob Backish realizes it or not, he is explicitly announcing to the world that Paramount Plus is no different from any of its competitors. The only difference is that its catalog of products and services, and by extension its viewers, have been branded with the Paramount logo, a brand who is so iconic, no one can name a single one of their movies. The rocket surgeon author of the Fast Company article then goes on to explain, quote, ah, but there's a method to all of this plus madness. What if it was all designed to make our lives less confusing, end quote. Listen to the words. Translation. The reason a big brand like Paramount decides to use Plus to describe its new offering is because executives and fast company writers believe you are too smooth-brained to understand anything different. If they didn't call it Paramount Plus, how would you possibly find the content you were searching for? The article then closes out with uh, the argument with a quote from the chief creative officer of Initial, Initial, Initial. Quote, it's such a complex landscape out there for consumers. There's so much content, so much choice, so many different layers of everything. I think brands have sort of banded together with these signifiers to make it easier for people to peg what kind of product it is, end quote. Listen to the words. We think that fitting in, not differentiating, is a wise growth strategy. You're too dumb to figure out what you want to watch on your own. Your content preferences aren't that relevant. You will be blindly following whichever logo is the biggest. Sing it. Make the logo big. Ah. Today's media landscape is so big and so complex that the best path forward for brands is to all use the same signifiers so that products can be more easily compared against each other. They actually fucking said that. Bob Backish, Fast Company, and most chief creative officers are all premium members of the brand cult. Unfortunately, this sort of comparison marketing leads nowhere except the better trap. And if you hadn't had a chance to read it yet, go check out Category Pirates and read The Better Trap. And the companies that fall into The Better Trap fight for only 24% of the category because as you know, the category queen earns 76% of the total value created in the space. A few other great examples of how line extension never works. Red Bull Cola. In 2008, on the heels of Red Bull's meteor, meteor, meteoric, <laughs> uh, meteoric, you know, if you're going to have a podcast, you should learn how to talk. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget that word because clearly I'm having a mental block, but big rise. <laughs> Creating the energy drink category. Meteoric, that's the word. They had a meteoric rise because they created the energy energy drink category. The company decided it was time to broaden their horizons. Unfortunately, instead of creating a new category, the company decided to take its brand and try to extend it 
into another already established category, COLA. At the time, Red Bull's UK managing director said in a press release, quote, the new product will benefit from full integration into Red Bull's brand marketing initiatives, sitting alongside Red Bull Energy Drink, end quote. Well, if Red Bull was one of the most recognized brands in the world, and if brand marketing is so successful, why did Red Bull pull the plug, along with its other line extension product, Red Bull Energy Shots, three years later? Because Coke owns the cola category, and 5-Hour Energy owns the Energy Shot category. And you will never overthrow a category leader by extending your brand into someone else's category. We find it stunning how some of the greatest category creators ever forget what made them successful. Categories are about customers. Brands are about us. We're not shrinks, shamans, or doctors of any kind. But we do suspect this has to do with the human ego. We want to believe we make us successful. When the, tr- when the truth is, customers make us successful. Categories make brands, not the other way around. The Microsoft Store. In 2009, another one of the most well-known brands and most valuable companies in the world, Microsoft, decided to take on Apple's legendary in-store customer experience by launching dun, 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 the Microsoft Store. Quote, we want to showcase what's possible with a full Microsoft brand, end quote, said David Porter, corporate vice president of Microsoft Retail, in a press release promoting the launch. By 2015, the company announced, today, more than 80% of Americans live within 20 miles of a Microsoft store with more than 110 stores across the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada. Fast forward to 2020, and Microsoft decided to shut the doors on the operation, resulting in a pre-tax charge of approximately $450 million, according to CNBC. That's half a billion dollars trying to extend their brand into Apple's category. Microsoft even built a store on Fifth Avenue in New York, just blocks away from Apple's iconic glass tube store. Line extension doesn't work. You can't take your brand and stroll up on someone else's category. And yet executives at some of the most legendary companies in the world, companies that at one point designed and dominated massive categories, continue to spread the gospel of the brand cult. Trillions in market cap has been destroyed with these asinine branding strategies, and trillions more will be. Your new role as CMO prepare three envelopes. Success in marketing roles means changing jobs every 18 to 36 months. That's how you know you're climbing the ladder, especially in Fortune 500 companies. The pattern is as follows. First six months, dump on the person before you. Ah, they did it all wrong. Next six months, make the logo big. Final six months, move on to your next gig. Let us show you how this works by telling you a short Pirate Fable. You're the new CMO. Congrats. The old CMO says, I wish you all the success in the world. Good luck. And to help out, I've left three envelopes on your desk with some advice in case you ever need it. So you get settled. You move into your new office. 
But then after the welcome parties simmer down and your responsibilities pick up speed, people start asking questions. What are you contributing to revenue? What's our ROI? How do we know we're gaining market share? Turns out being a CMO is hard, a bit harder than uh, things seemed on the job description. You aren't sure how to handle it, so you open envelope number one. You pull out a sheet of paper, and all it says is one word, rebrand. Terrific idea. Branding. It's the solution to everything. So you put together a fancy PowerPoint presentation. You call all the other executives into media. You say, hey, listen, growth isn't where we want it to be. We're not distinguished from our competitors. We need a rebrand. And all the smooth-brained executives start nodding their heads. Yes, yes. Side note, if a company hires a new CMO and rebrands within the first 12 months, quit or sell the stock. You're screwed. The good news is most rebranding initiatives take anywhere from 8 to 24 months to complete. Anytime someone asks you what you're doing or why the company marketing isn't yielding meaningful results, all you have to say is, oh, that's because we're in the middle of a rebrand. Ah, okay, got it. Fast forward a year. The rebrand is done. You have a shiny new logo. Can't tell the difference? This is worth going to see. We have a clip here in the newsletter of SAP's logo from the early 70s up to the mid uh, to, to 2014. And they've rebranded one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe eight, eight, roughly 10 times in that period, it looks like from this chart. And uh, you will absolutely piss yourself laughing when you see how little the logo has changed. And we guarantee that SAP wasted tens of thousands of person hours over many of these decades and tens of millions, God knows, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars on these rebrands. For a while, everybody on the team is ecstatic. Oh, I love the colors. It's practically a work of art. Meanwhile, Andy uh, Warhol is rolling in his grave. Until a few months pass, people start asking questions. Did the rebrand work? Is revenue up? Have our competitors waved the white flag yet? Hmm, the questions won't stop. In a jam, you open envelope number two. Reorg. An amazing idea. You start to think about it. And of course, it makes sense why the rebrand didn't change a company's position in the marketplace. Just look around. The office is a disaster. Nobody knows how to communicate with anybody. It's time to move from a centralized model to a decentralized model. Because if you're not the category leader, you're fighting for 24% of the value in the category. So you can position, reposition, rebrand all you want, but growth will be very hard. How long will it take? Another executive asks. Oh, probably 12 to 18 months, you say, shaking your head. It's going to be tough, but we have to do it. And off the company goes, rebranding and reorging. Until finally, after you've been with the company for a little over two years, you realize things aren't going anywhere. It's time for me to jump ship, you say, over drinks with an executive at another company. When you return back to the office, people won't leave you alone. More questions, always more questions. Did the rebrand work? Did the reorg work? You've had enough. Clearly, nobody on board is up to your caliber of talent. And so you open the last envelope, hoping for some parting advice from the previous CMO. You open it up, pull out a sheet of paper, and it says, prepare three envelopes. The role brands should play in category design. If brand marketing doesn't work, then what's a marketer, an executive, an entrepreneur to do? 
The answer is certainly not to come up with airy-fairy attributes and qualities in an attempt to distinguish the company, product, or service from identical offerings. Make the logo big. The only time you should ever rebrand is when you are launching a new category design. However, branding in the absence of category design is asinine. Kind of even rhymes a little, doesn't it? Remember, categories make brands, not the other way around. Google's brand is only valuable in the context of the category it created and dominated, which is search. Take Google's brand and extend it into Facebook's social network category, and it's worthless. Same goes for Microsoft and its attempt to extend its brand into Apple's category of in-store experiences. Instead, branding should be used in conjunction with the new and different category you're creating. The category and brand have to come together in some meaningful way for the customer, the consumer, or the user. For example, Barcade, the original arcade bar. It's not a bar. It's not an arcade. It's an arcade bar. It's a different thing in a different category. The brand reflects all the things that make this thing fundamentally different. Barcade the original arcade bar. Five-hour energy, energy shots. The category is energy shots, and the brand is five-hour energy. The brand name reflects the differentiated category. The two are inextricably linked. Under Armour, athletic undergarments. The category is clothes you wear under your clothes when you're being athletic. The brand is Under Armour. The brand name is telling customers what the category is. Quote, Under Armour is the originator of performance apparel sportswear engineered to keep athletes cool, dry, and light throughout the course of a game, practice, or workout. End quote. Their brand is in the context of this new different category they created, it, and it's legendary for that. Outside of this category, Under Armour as a next best alternative to Nike, Adidas, and so on, because now you can buy shoes that say Under Armour on them. But I digress. Amazon.com, e-commerce. Most people forget Amazon was the first company of consequence to put .com in their name. This immediately communicated that Amazon was radically different from any other bookstore. And its tagline in the beginning screamed the difference. The Earth's Biggest Bookstore. Thousands of companies followed in their footsteps and realized, hey, if we put .com in our name, we'll be valued as a futuristic e-commerce company too. So when done successfully, your company's branding efforts do not just create the style guide for your company, but the style guide for the category. You can see this happening in plain sight when your competitors start talking like you, looking like you, using similar features as you. All of which makes the category bigger. Of course, that's what the category leader does, and the category leader captures two-thirds of the economics. Most small entrepreneurs intuitively understand branding hierarchy in category design. Whereas most MBAs from Ivy League schools wearing pleated pants and blue button-downs do not. For proof... Look at any local sign for a dentist. Big font, dentist. Small font, Mark Johnson, DDS. 
Or how about your local landscaping company? Big font. Landscaping. Small font. Mirrors landscaping since 1992. Or how about your plumber? What does the side of their truck say? Big font. Plumber. Small font. O'Connor Plumbing. Call us today. Category first. Brand second. As a side note, living where I live in California, I often wonder if there's a, uh, if there's a state law that says that there uh, needs to be a new craft beer place that opens every other week. And interestingly enough, all of the small entrepreneurs in my neighborhood who open craft beer places put up a sign that says craft beer and the name of the bar down below. Because if we're plumbers and we say, hey, you should really call Eddie, Cole, and Christopher, you don't care. You don't have a clue what we're talking about. Are we plumbers? Are we fast food delivery guys? Are we landscapers? You need to know what category of thing we are first. Then, once you understand the category, you start searching for the best brand within that category. Biggie entrepreneurs, on the other hand, have a much harder time keeping their ego in check. It's as if the moment your startup passes $100 million in funding, you black out and forget what made you successful wasn't your brand, your logo, your name, or even your incredible track record as an entrepreneur. What made you successful was your ability to create a new and differentiated category of product, service, or offering to which your brand name just happened to be attached. Again, Ralph Lauren's brand isn't what made his wide ties successful. His new and differentiated category of product, wide ties, were successful, which made his brand successful as a result. Force a choice. Don't invite a comparison. So if you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or a marketer, we urge you to ask this very important question. What are you doing with your marketing? Are you forcing a choice? We're different altogether. Or are you inviting a comparison? We're like everybody else, plus some more. The answer to this question is the seminal difference between brand marketing and category marketing. Somehow, the business world got duped into solving a problem called we're not different by putting drapes on the painting as opposed to creating a different painting. Stop arguing over those drapes, over whose drapes are the best. Paint a different painting. Our Category Pirates. <laughs>